Title 35 of the United States Code, Section 103, mandates that a patent not be given when the differences between the subject matter sought to be patented and the prior art are such that the subject matter as a whole would have been obvious at the time of the invention was made to a person having ordinary skill in the art. Howdy. Welcome to Skilled in the Art. We are Intellectual Property Aggies, and I am your host, Preston Morgan. I'm here with you for another business formal episode. You know what we do here. We talk about the big things going on in the field of intellectual property. Today, we have Professor Irene Cowboli. You got to know her last time. This time, you get to know her work. Food and fashion, both here and abroad. Specifically, it's all about geographic indications. What are those? She tells us now. Thank you again. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, to and be able to talk about one of the um, topic of my research. Uh, uh, one of the topic I've been working, um, you know, to a large extent, almost full time in the past few years, um, which is geographic indications um, and more general distinctive signs that uh, relate to uh, the geographical origin of products. Um, so, geographic indications are. Um, usually uh, the names of geographical areas from which a product originates or in the, um, you know, the agreement for trade-related aspects uh, in intellectual property rights, so the TRIPS agreement, uh, from which the uh, characteristic of a product exclusively or essentially originates, including the reputation of the product. Um, Example of geographical indications are, of course, the most famous one can be champagne, the sparkling wine mm. that is produced in France, uh, Parmigiano Reggiano, which is the our cheese, uh, you know, our pasta cheese that is produced um, in Italy, uh, Prosciutto di Parma, which is the Parma ham that is produced in Parma, mm. um, Scotch whiskey. Uh, but, you know, um, in the United States, we have uh, geographical indications such as Napa, Val- Napa Valley wine, Sonoma Valley wine, uh, Idaho potatoes, um, Vidalia onions, Florida oranges. Yeah. Um, so uh, GIs are the name of the geographical location from which a products, uh, whether it is an agricultural products, a raw materials, um, basically is, is or, originates. Um, I have done uh, research on geographic indication at this point for the past several years. I am, uh, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm very interested in uh, the geographical origin of products. Uh, perhaps it comes with the country, uh, is a country of good food, uh, is a country of um, a lot of typical and traditional products, and uh, um, I've always been very interested in the um, fairly animated, you know, to put it mildly, um, is actually, you know, very controversial discussion on geographic indications that we have seen um, at the international level, um, I would say, ever since. Um, in 1994, the protection of geographic indication has been uh, introduced uh, in the TRIPS agreement, and accordingly uh, has become a mandatory requirement for all country members of the World Trade Organization to have any minimum standards, you know, some minimum protection for geographic indication, and that has been a major 
uh, step compared to the past, because in the past, the protection of geographic indication was only and primarily a European um, uh, experience. Uh, and at the international level, we had uh, two treaties primarily. We have three treaties. One is the General Paris Convention uh, that provides uh, doesn't provide specific protection for geographic indication, uh, but provide um, just uh, provides protection against misleading use uses of any name. Of course, also related to the geographical uh, origin of products. Uh, but we had two agreements. One is the Madrid Agreement. Uh, dated um, uh, 1891, and then the Lisbon Agreement for the protection of appellation d'origine, the appellation of origin, are uh, very much a French products, yeah. uh, you know, products of French diplomacy. Um, and uh, neither of these agreements were uh, widely subscribed. You know, you had a very limited number of signatories, most of them being from Europe, uh, some of them being from other countries, but none being, you know, from the North American, for North America. Mm. And uh, what the TRIPS agreement did was to oblige everybody uh, because by the time the TRIPS was adopted, um, not, you know, we still had, um, you know, uh, an agreement that didn't include the, 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 the totality of the world, but within the following 10 years, uh, more or less all countries in the world joined the, 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 the WTO. And in 2001, China joined the WTO. And today, Russia is also a member of WTO. So every country uh, at this point, or the vast majority of countries worldwide, do have to introduce some protection for geographic indication. Um, what is interesting in TRIPS is that TRIPS provides for two levels of protection, one uh, being the general level uh, against misleading uses uh, for all GIs, uh, with an enhanced protection for GIs that relate to wines and spirits. Um, to a large extent, that has been um, criticized by many countries that produce um, other type of products than wines or spirits. Uh, has been criticized as a um, as a Western um, approach. Um, it's interesting to see how countries that vehemently disagree on the protection of geographic indication, like the United States and Europe, for example, with respect to a lot of names for cheeses um, or for other products, eventually agreed um, on things related to wines and basically alcohol and uh, in their country in you know there are many countries in the world that do not produce alcohol related products uh, but they produce tea coffee uh, many handicraft that are typical and they would like also to have you know higher protection for those products um, um, I've done considerable amount of work on geographic indication in, in, in Asia at this point particularly in South Asia and uh, it's really interesting to see the type of products that are produced by, um, by countries in, in, in South Asia. You know, Indonesia is very rich in coffees, teas, mm. um, lots of handicraft, um, wood carving products, uh, uh, very beautiful, lots of textiles. The same is true for countries like India, a uh, lot of silks. Um, Thailand as well, uh, Vietnam, and, and something that is also interesting is that um, the, the stronger proponent of geographic indication protection, such as Europe, 
um, at this stage still protects geographic indication only with relations to food or foodstuff products and then uh, wine spirits or aromatized wines. Um, there is a proposals of a regulation uh, that will expand protection to non-agricultural products uh, that is still not being um, adopted and still is in the working stages. Um, it got full approval by the European Parliament to, uh, um, you know, to become an actual legislative text, but at this point is still a work in progress. And to a large extent, that type of uh, revision of the current European approach is something that many developing countries, many countries that heavy, are heavy producers of uh, non-agricultural GIs would like so they can protect the products also in the European Union because intellectual property is territorial, so we do need to have recognition of certain rights on a territorial basis for products from other countries to be protected because they do need to fit within a certain frameworks within our jurisdictions. Believe it or not, there is a little pushback here in the U.S. Professor Calboli addresses why that might be next. America, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, after many years I've been working on the, on, on the subject, I can now confidently say that it's all about money. And mm. to be fully honest, it's all about money on the European side, too. Um, it's ma in many ways is market share, is market approach, is market, uh, it's what are we selling, what type of products we want to produce, and what type of name we want to use. There's been rhetoric about immigrants' community coming from Europe and, and producing cheeses or wines in the United States. The United States and Europe had a wine agreement in, 19, in 2006 that has clawback many uh, of the wine names, mm -hmm. as long as, let's say, champagne cannot be used as such anymore in America. It needs to be American champagne or California champagne, so it needs to be used with a specific delocalizer. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, the French champagne growers are still trying to push for the ban of the name champagne. and Altogether. Uh, altogether, and I've seen actually uh, many... Um, uh, um, wine uh, from Napa and Sonoma, they're all sold under the label sparkling wines. They, there is no use um, of the word champagne, even though, of course, you know, there are very famous um, uh, wines such as Corbel that they market their wine as American champagne or California champagne. But to a large extent, the pushback is at this point primarily on the dairy world and the cheese world. Mm. Um, and is really because of market um, American producer, which, you know, paradoxically sometimes are, are not that immigrant-based. You know, there might be some immigrants, uh, and ma many are not necessarily long-time immigrants. They are, you know, uh, people who came from Europe, like, in the past 30 years. So when uh, the names, uh, the Natives Name War was already started, um, uh, they realized that they want to use the, the, the European names because that gives them Know, they claim these are generic terms, but to a certain extent, sometimes there is synonymous, like the word gorgonzola is a specific type of blue vein cheese. Roquefort is a specific type of blue uh, vein cheese. Um, uh, I lived in Wisconsin for 10 years, and I've always found it staggering that the dairy land of the United States really doesn't have any 
uh, typical products. Uh, we, you know, in Wisconsin, there was very strong copycatting of um, um, European names uh, without trying to give an identity to the wonderful blue vein cheese that Wisconsin produce uh, in small cheese makers, for mm-hmm. example. They could be actually be marketed much more extensively across the country. Um, I found uh, that to me very interesting, um, and I wish um, you know Wisconsin could produce more original, between quotation, cheese because as a major capacity. Uh, not in producing uh, replicas from Europe, but also producing uh, extremely high quality um, cheeses because they already have these high quality cheeses uh, probably sold in a very local market uh, and market that much more uh, extensively throughout America and throughout um, you know the, the North America in general, so international markets. But so back to the pushback, I think to a large extent in the dairy world now, um, some of these names might be uh, what consumers know in the United States, and so the the, the makers see um, uh, they are afraid of changing. But to a large extent, these multinational corporation, uh, you know, like Kraft and and mm. uh, and and similars, and I hope I'm not going to get you know now uh, bad letters from the Kraft lawyers. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, you know, they, it's very much a, a market share world. And uh, the, I, I believe the word Parmesan is a generic term. I, Parmigiano, Reggiano is a ge- geographic indication, but Parmesan is a generic term in my opinion. Um, but uh, there is much confusion among consumers to what is what. And I think the company don't want consumers to know better about the geographical origin because that would give them a choice. They would know that there is something authentic versus versus not. Um, in many ways, this is also trade war internationally. Living in Asia, I see Asia developing a fairly uh, interesting taste for wine and cheese. And Asia is not being a dairy consumer for for. Is, is traditionally not a dairy mm-hmm. consumer. And now they are more interested in wine and cheese, perhaps because they have a different appreciation for some of the Western uh, way of, you know, eating, particularly mm-hmm. appetizers. And and there is a huge market, you know, China, Japan, uh, Korea, South Asia, Indonesia, you have billions of people that can buy your cheeses. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a tradition, if they don't know, too well, what's what? You know what they rely. What they rely on is names. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the same with brands. You know the the luxury brands major market now are you know is Asia to a large extent. You know the the Ferragamo, Gucci, Louis Vuitton of the world. They thrive in Asia, um, and and so when. Uh, people from Asia have to pick an, a, a cheese. If you know they're going to pick a cheese that as a name that they recognize and suddenly if a portion of uh, the market, the dairy exporters, the dairy producer cannot use familiar names such as let's say Gorgonzola, Asiago, Fontina, or Brie or Camembert, suddenly um, you know the market will switch towards the more European export versus the, the let's say American, Australian or New Zealand exports and and that is really a, a big concern for their producer so it's a it's a trade war it's nothing but a trade war you know sometimes masqueraded with rhetoric of immigrants and right of communities but to a large extent the real bottom line of it is really it's really trade and market access um, I'm a big believer uh, that developing the, the new country the new war country should be able to use 
those names as comparative advertisement with the localizer. I think mm. American should recognize the protection of geographic indication, but at the same time, Americans should be able to use Asiago type, uh, Gouda-like. I mean, uh, Gouda should not, you know, Gouda is a generic term as well, and Gouda from Holland, Holland Gouda is not. Uh, but, you know, names like Gorgonzola, which is a GI from, uh, from, Lo from Lombardia, from a region in Italy, um, or a name like uh, uh, feta, I believe feta is not generic, is, mm. is, is a Greek type of cheese, but you can do the same type of cheese and call it, you know, uh, cheese, uh, no, uh, goat cheese, feta type, feta-like. Uh, I believe the sparkling winer, winemaker should be able to use méthode champenoise because that's a descriptive term. Mm. European don't want that either. You know, the European don't want that. So you have uh, both sides of the debate are very... Um, are very um, uh, aggressive on um, giving nothing to the other part, and uh, um, you know the, the the supporter of we should be able to use those name in 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 America. They don't want to recognize the rights of the actual original makers, and the the Europeans want to use GIs very much about as as a marketing tools, denying comparative advertisement uses, and I think that's also excessive. Um, one of the other issues I have with the current situation of geographic indication is that um, it tends the definition of it tends to be fairly loose. Um, uh, not all cheeses made in uh, you know region X are made with milk from region X uh, mm. or uh, with ingredients from region X. Uh, uh, the definition in the TRIPS agreement, in the the directives, in the uh, in the regulation in the European Community as well as in many countries' laws, is that as long as the products are essentially or exclusively, but the essential word is really important, made um, um, in the place, and the place is famous because of the characteristic of the product, which include the reputation, so some, some historical legacy, mm. then the, the, that region enjoys a monopoly. And I think that's, in, on the name, I think that is highly controversial because we are giving rights of names of to certain communities when the products might be made entirely outside uh, and it's just perhaps assembled or so there is an excessive mm. generous definition of what a geographic indication is consumer might think that geographical indication are of pro you know attached to products entirely made in a certain region and 90 times out of 100 are not mm. uh they are they once upon the time they were made on that region but perhaps today are made with ingredients coming from outside the region and uh, only part of the ingredients um you know the the european union divide between uh uh protected denomination of origin that have to come all from the region and uh um, but even there, there are exceptions because several of those the geographical denomination were grandfather in. So some of those are even not fully coming from the region mm. uh, to the geographical indication of origin that only need one step of the process to come from the region. Mm. And so what kind of process would that be? Like what uh, they can be part of the ingredients. They mm. can be part of the manufacturing. And what it's interesting is that when we look at the empirical work done by some scholar, most of the new registration in Europe are denomination are, are indication of origin. So 
just one step of the process has to be done in the region. And that is, in my opinion, highly problematic because we don't know as consumers where things come from, but we do attach um, considerable uh, value to the geographical name. And, uh, and that, from a consumer protection standpoint, uh, it's, it's, to me, um, not uh, what geographic indication should be for, what geographic indication should stand for. I deeply believe that geographic indication should uh, effectively and truthfully indicate the actual origin of the products and give consumers information about where the products are made and... Um, theoretically also how the products are made so consumer can uh, make a better informed choice about why they are buying a certain products, uh, likely paying a premium price for it uh, because they want to support their community, because they want to support a certain, a certain region, because they want to support a certain country. Um, and uh, there is much confusion now uh, on what actually some of these denomination um, stands for. This said, I do believe that we should not not protect them. We should, in fact, protect them uh, because if we don't, uh, then we have uh, other businesses using them misleadingly uh, and inaccurately. And that in the long term, can lead to genericizing them. Uh, but most importantly, the outsider who use geographical names uh, have much less vested interest in keeping um, the geographical name uh, linked to a high-quality product. And uh, if something happened to their products, if they're not up to standards, if the quality is bad, if there is a scandal, uh, they will not pay a high price, or perhaps they can pay a high price with respect to their individual businesses, but that will also translate in very high damage for the region uh, that has given the name to that product, and consumers would just bundle everything together and say, mm -hmm. I'm not going to buy you know, one from Napa uh, because, you know, somebody in Connecticut is using the name Napa and they, they, they can think, you know, Napa is bad and, you know, that wine was poisoned and something like that. So I think, I think it's really important to try to bring more accuracy in the debate of geographic indications, more transparency, uh, but at the same time, they remain an important tool for consumers to know more about the products. And to me, the rationale for, for geographic indication protection does primarily remain consumer protection. It also is uh, public policy, um, uh, you know, it's public policy with respect to the type of incentive we want to give to communities, uh, incentives for uh, people to invest in their community, uh, to produce local, to uh, market things that come from local, uh, well-defined uh, areas. Um, and I think that there is much to be said about, particularly in today's, you know, harsh rhetoric against globalization. Um, it's really important to find localization within globalization. So um, our international trade um, I think it's been very useful and international trade, it's important and I would resist calls against 
uh, too much protectionism. But on the other side, as much as geographic indication could be a uh, disguise subsidy uh, for agricultural and other type of products, uh, it's also true that the more information consumer know about the origin of a product, that is truly the origin of a product, the more consumer will be able to make better informed information. Mm-hmm. If I here in Texas go to the supermarket and I can see, you know, blue vein cheese from France, from Italy, uh, from Wisconsin, and from California, and these are all labeled properly, and I can make an informed choice of what I'm getting. Perhaps I can be guided on price. Uh, perhaps I can be guided by the fact that I want to do a dinner of a certain type and I want to feel certain things and I want to go back home uh, for dinner, for example, and mm-hmm. so buy the Italian cheese or mm-hmm. I want just to jump to France and I just want to buy the Roquefort or I am, uh, you know, I have a little moment of Wisconsin nostalgia or I have to use the cheese just to use it for a spread and perhaps I can just buy... Um, whatever is on special offer that day. And as long as the consumers can know what is sold and why they want to make a certain purchase, I think all products should coexist on the shelves. Uh, We just need to give, we we consumers need to have accurate information. Mm. And, you know, jumping back to the United States, um, while, you know, certain businesses are, you know, of course, because they don't want to rebrand, they don't want to have to, you know, to, 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 to invest more on their local products or the local names. So it's understandable why they are against GIs. Uh, we, can, we are seeing a movement towards more localization and made in certain states um, in the United States as well. Um, uh, here in Texas, we have, you know, we we there is a a, a proposal I understand of made in Texas, uh, you know, some um, that would you know for products that would go all the way from cattles to wines, and uh, so it is uh, empowerment of local businesses and consumers community, producer communities to express identity and at the same time. Um, work more within local boundaries and then tell consumers, uh, we're in Texas, we can buy local, you can buy international, you can buy national products, but this local is genuinely local and is an additional choice. Uh, And then market locally made in state X or in county X, also in other states or, you know, in in other countries. It's a trend that we are seeing in the United States as well. And in my opinion, uh, when we look at localization as not an antithesis to globalization, but as a complement, you know, localization to me is highly complementary to globalization. Um, it's it's a good trend. Uh, it's a trend um, that can benefit consumers. Uh, and it's also a trend that can make products of better quality because now cons- uh, you know we have more information about products and so producer are more on the spot and they have to make better quality products and uh, and and because they have to compete and that's is a win-win for the environment for consumers for our communities i think there is much to be said and in fact back to the alcohol world uh, america the united states has been protecting through sui generis right 
both at the federal and at the state level, mm -hmm. uh, appellation for wines. We have over 137, I think, uh, viticultural areas in the United States mm -hmm. that are identified, and we have many registration. Uh, it's not protected under the IP framework, under the, the firearms and tobacco framework, mm -hmm. you know, alcohol, firearms, and so yeah. forth. But... These are, even though, you know, they might be different in nature, uh, rights that are different in nature compared to uh, the geographic indication, they're remarkably similar. They are sui generis right. There's mm -hmm. not, they're not trademarks. Uh, there are specific uh, percentages of grapes from the region that have to come from the region for the wine to be able. So there are fairly detailed labeling requirement. At the same time, uh, they've been... Um, changes in these laws to make sure the products are more and more accurate. Uh, there were some uh, grandfathering in of uh, businesses that were producing wine, for example, I think in Napa and Sonoma, up to a certain year. And then after that, of course, you know, the labeling requirement became more stringent. So that paradoxically shows a story that is remarkably similar to the European story. Now, it might be because European immigrants are the one producing wine in, in, in California, but there's much to be said about it's a business uh, decision uh, to protect the products and to make sure the products are more truthful to their origin. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, I, I know that the, the folks at the Consortium for Common Name in the United States would vehemently oppose a lot of uh, geographic indication for cheeses, for example. Um, but if we look just north, you know, Canada could be a great example. The European Union and Canada closed on a, a free trade agreement uh, that has been, um, and now the, the free trade agreement should enter into effect because it's been ratified at the European Union level. And that trade agreement, which is the comprehensive economic, uh, um, um, the CETA, is, you know, C-E-T-A, uh, Canada-European Union uh, trade agreement, uh, that um, agreement is a lot of very sensible solution to try to figure out how to resolve the geographic indication uh, dispute between the United uh, between uh, North America, in this case Canada, and uh, Europe, uh, with grandfathering provision for business that are using names currently, uh, with delocalizing uh, terms for businesses that will use name in the future. And truth to be told, the real hot potatoes, between quotation, uh, names are, are a handful. You know, there are Fontina, uh, Feta, uh, Münster, uh, and, you know, and a few others, and Asiago. And, and, and so when we look at this harsh rhetoric for, you know, hundreds of names, uh, that is really about trade war for a few names, mm -hmm. I think it makes full sense for... Uh, the parties to sit at the table and to try to compromise. Of course, there, there are stakeholders that have no interest whatsoever into that, and they are the ones who are gridlocked in the negotiation, of course. Uh, but I think that's to the detriment of consumers uh, on both sides of the Atlantic and uh, in general. We consumer benefit from better information, um, and, uh, and I think we should get better information and we should know what is in the product and what is the origin of the product. And to that, I think America should recognize foreign geographic indication. On the other side, foreign geographic indication should be truthful, should mm -hmm. actually originate in the place where they say they do. 
more important. Today, uh, we have ingredients that come from many different countries. I do believe that the law should reflect um, a requirement to indicate on the product's packaging, on the product's advertisement, where the various ingredients come from. Mm. Um, a law that has been um, introduced um, uh, just recently in Switzerland, for example, is all about Swissness, about the use to use the name Swiss mm -hmm. and the, the cross. The, and to a large extent, of course, we have Swiss chocolate. Mm. But one of the, the, the questions that remain is that, you know, Swiss chocolate is not made with cocoa beans coming from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, Belgian chocolate is not made with cocoa bean coming from Belgium. Mm -hmm. um, why are we not, um, you know, uh, notified and why are we not, why consumers are not told where this cocoa bean comes from? Uh, one of the real issues in the geographic indication debate is that developing countries are told by developed country, again, primarily Europe, that they should have GI protection and so forth. To a large extent, that GI protection can be highly uh, beneficial for uh, many products in developing countries, but developing country farmers tend to produce primarily raw materials. Mm -hmm. And it's proven uh, that the actual surplus so competitive advantage in pricing of GIs that are pro uh, processed product like you know um, cheese versus milk uh, is considerably higher than the extra value that raw materials can fetch by being GI so GI rice, GI coffee, beans, GI cocoa beans don't fetch twice as much compared to the generic cheese, let's say, uh, Emmentaler from Switzerland or from France versus the general generic Emmental cheese. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that's something to be taken into consideration. Perhaps we should uh, create a system in which to combine localization with globalization, we should we cannot impose that all ingredients come from a certain region. Uh, you know, that region has the reputation, historical reputation of making a certain product, and they can still make it and monopolize the name, so have an exclusive right on the name. However, they should disclose where ingredients come from. They mm -hmm. should disclose that cocoa bean come from country and locality X, uh, that the milk to make the cheese come from uh, locality X, that would actually get good spillover and benefit producer of the raw materials as well. Again, it goes down to money. I'm sure that mm. that's not in the law because lobbyists didn't want it because now suddenly if we have to recognize locality, then we'll increase the price of the better quality products and mm. that cost can either eat into the profits mm. uh, or it it, you know, consumer will have to pay more, but I think we will all win, at least consumers and producers will all win if we know better where things come from and, and we can really use uh, the geographical name to redistribute, um, you know, profits in a, in, a, in a fair way, I would say, you know, that tie, to me, this, all this, this discourse ties very much into a fair trade uh, there have been a lot of uh, also criticisms of what fair trade means or what sustainable development means, but particularly now in which we see a world 
that is increasingly more concerned about sustainable development, in which sustainable development goals have been, you know, also explicitly adopted at the United Nations level and hopefully will continue to be adopted at the national level too. Uh, in many ways, um, rather than fast food, uh, we need to have slow food uh, movement and more more of that and better quality information to consumers. And to me, geographic indication, when truthful, can really uh, fulfill this role very effectively. Mm. Do, you, do you think there's a, a chance of change in the U.S. anytime soon? I mean, uh, I'm very hopeful because, yeah. again, if you look at the history of wines and if you look at the how supportive of the geographic indication narratives um, winemakers and many producers are in the United States as well, I think so. Uh, again, you know, to me, the, the best of the world is a very balanced solution in which GIs are actually truthful. They are not just used as a marketing tool, as in many ways Europe wants to use them. Um, but w- we see and I've s- witnessed firsthand a lot of changes in the United States in the past, uh, even just, you know, decade and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, you see much more uh, concern and attention to what people eat. Uh, you see businesses like Trader Joe's, Old Food, uh, uh, thriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see slow food and uh, uh, farmer's market movement. Mm. And you see that across all uh, demographics. Uh, one thing I think is should be really important is that geographic indication should not be identified as a luxury item. Mm. You know, that, 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 that's a major risk and something that I believe shouldn't happen. I think there's a right to health food, good food to everybody. You know, mm. I grew up in Italy. I grew up in a country in which... We have probably 975 geographic indication or more, and just a handful of those are famous. Mm. Uh, all the others are mostly selling locally, mm. and uh, Italian people just don't eat bad food. Mm. Uh, there was, I remember, and you know, I don't want to be political at all, but I remember here there was an uproar when uh, was I think was President Obama used the word aragula and uh, our aragula in the United States is a posh item. Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 know it's expensive to buy that type of salad herb. I remember as a child, you know, just going and pick up rucola, that mm-hmm. is, you know, the Italian name for aragula in the field. Uh, my mom was like, go go you know go get some you know rucola and you just pick it up. Um, in the field and you know in the in the lawn in your house basically mm-hmm. and it's a wild herb and we were just you know just throwing on the salad that's very is a very basic thing for for yeah. Italians and uh, Italians and French and and, and 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 many of the Mediterranean culture I mean there is no such a thing as a bad food everybody should have access to good food at a very reasonable price uh, you know you can have the very expensive bottle of wine but you know, average uh, quality products, whether it's wine, whether it's cheese, whether it's meat, whether it's vegetables, are available to everybody and, uh, you know, for a few euros. And and that's what I think in America we should do too. We should make sure everybody uh, is able to purchase uh, good products. And I think uh, the farmer's market makes, it, uh, makes that point very clearly. It is not about... Uh, you know, just bourgeois or rich people buying it is everybody in 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 every constituencies. Everybody in America should um, should be able to have access to healthier food. Uh, 
if that can become a war to fast food, I am all, I'm up for it. You know, I think I think I think the amount of sugars, the amount of bad things American eat. You know, we have a problem with um, you know people being overweight. That that spills over in healthcare, and this is very serious issues. And at the end of the day, to a large extent, a lot of that comes down to food, what we eat, and the culture of uh, fresh is not something that should be seen as a prerogative of rich people. That's something that, to me, I would even go as far as say is a human right. It's something that should be given to everybody um, at affordable prices. And uh, if that means that in Texas we are starting to think about more local products, local producers, I mean, the food here I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And again, multinational corporation who also... Um, exploit the geographic indication game when it's really not very local. They are as guilty as the multinational corporation that wants to take away names and just use them arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. So it's really how can we make consumer win for food safety, food security, good quality food that can have uh, long-term good impact on uh, on people and society in general. I, I strongly Before she that. leaves us, she gives us her final thoughts. I mean, this is, I think, is going to remain an issue that it's a minor issue in the intellectual property world that will continue to gridlock international negotiation, will continue to raise um, uh, blood pressure uh, among those who think differently. Uh, because even though, as I said, it's really a market access issue, it becomes personal. It becomes uh, it becomes something that country and people negotiating feel very strongly about themselves. Last year, I was at an international conference here in the U.S., and you had the USDR negotiator and the European negotiator, you know, of course, complaining with each other, and then suddenly uh, a poll was made about what cheese do you get. Do you prefer European cheese as American cheese? And, of course, the, the European negotiator, you, know, you can do what you want. I keep my cheese versus yours. And it becomes highly personal, is mm. highly culture. And as we know, culture can be highly controversial because people feel feel threatened or feel my culture is better than your culture and everybody thinks they are right. Um, I think it's, this type of battle should be resolved by going and having potlucks in which everybody brings <laughs> the best food from and wine and cheese and, you know, products from their, their country and we all taste it and we all enjoy it. Um, but again, the right to naming, it's crucial, but I do believe we have to do a better job to be accurate on both sides of the aisle. And and we do also need to leave space for comparative advertisement in delocalizing terms. So then I in Wisconsin might not be able to use Asiago, but I should be able to say, you know, cheese so-and-so using the generic term, Asiago type. Uh, or Fontina-like, or Feta-style. That, to me, should be absolutely uh, a right, because um, that's not going to create confusion. It's actually going to clarify to consumers what is what, and at the same time allows a local producer to use um, existing name as a comparative advertisement or as a qualifier. And I think that's very important um, in the debate, um, at the end, it's about consumers. It should be about marketing consumer. It should not just be about individual company interest, which I think now to a large extent is what the debate is about. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me and uh, uh, keep up the good work. I think uh, what your guys are doing here at 
uh, Texas A&M is really, is really wonderful. Many thanks Thank to Professor Cavoli for being on our podcast. That is it for me. My last episode as host of Skilled in the Art. It's been a pleasure. But all of you loyal fans of the show have nothing to worry about. The show will go on. You are in good hands with the new hosts of the podcast, Jonathan Minasana and Andrew Goodwin. The intro is a mashup of music from Peas. You can find them on SoundCloud. And Supreme Court audio from Oye. On the sax, we have our very own Matt Pellegrino. This has been Skilled in the Art. I am Preston Morgan. Thanks for listening.